Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. In high school, uh, junior high, actually, sixth grade, um, I had a, a wonderful woman named Judy Room, who was my teacher. And uh, I had some learning disabilities growing up. You know who I'm talking, right, Jay? Uh, Learning disabilities growing up, and she was one of those most patient people, you know? You know that kind of teacher, the teacher you always remember, those patient people. Um, and then when I graduated from college and came back and started working in that church where the school was, I ended up being her assistant teacher. You know how hard it was to get me to go from Mrs. Room to Judy? And she would just constantly, don't call me Mrs. Room, call me Judy, we're working together now. Yeah, I just can't do that. <laughs> You'll always be Mrs. Room to me. So, Judy, Mrs. Room, if you're watching, love you. I also had a sweet sister in the faith, um, Sue Smith, who was, uh, she was single her whole entire life, but she invested so heavily in the children of our church. She did children's ministry. She did all these things. And every one of those children in the church thought of her as a second mom, and uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord, but I always think about Sue Smith, and then I have a wonderful mother, uh, flesh and blood, and uh, I couldn't ask for a better example of Christian motherhood than my own mom, and I think that's what drew me to my wife, who is an amazing example of Christian motherhood. I got it wrong last week, but I'm not going to get it wrong today. Proverbs 31, woman. That was all over the place. That was Psalms. I was Proverbs. I was 21, 31. I was all over the place. Trying to ever get that at the tip of your brain, and you're like, it's there. It's coming. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But I've just been so fortunate to have appreciated and enjoyed a legacy of, of wonderful Christian women in my life. So we're going to talk about Samson. <laughs> like, what are you, that's a quick shift. No, we're not going to, this is not going to be a Mother's Day centric message, but I want to talk about, I want to go into the next um, sermon in our Flex series, but I have to tell you, of the strongest people I know, women rank at the very top. I've seen childbirth three times now. And I'm scarred enough to never want to see it again. And you women are amazing. If it was left up, there was a great video the other day on, on Facebook of a guy who, who got those electrodes like, hooked up to him so he could, like, they could simulate child labor. That guy was all over the place. He was howling. He was screaming. He was on the floor rolling around. Uh, turn it off! Turn it off! Turn it off! His, his voice went from a normal male voice to that of the chipmunks in like split second. So when we talk about strength, I often think about how strong you ladies are. So thank you for being that to, to us in so many ways. All right, so we're going to continue in our study of the book, of, in the book of Judges, of this character, and I do say character, of Samson. Today's Title, the title of today's message is Descending Spiral. Descending 
spiral, and that will tie in later. You'll, you'll understand that a little bit later. But the big idea of the message is this. Pride goes before destruction, but victory comes from the Lord. Pride goes before destruction, but victory comes from the Lord. And we'll read two passages that confirm that today. I want to start out in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, not in um, Judges today. I want to start out in Proverbs chapter 16. And I want to read to you this amazing proverb. And I want you to keep this proverb, the, 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 the words of this proverb in your head as we talk about the narrative of Samson today. And it says this, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Those are some big words. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I want you to really zero in on that. When, the ways, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Now we know Samson was meant to start the liberation of Israel, right? What if Samson's ways were pleasing to the Lord? It might have been a miraculous deliverance in a way that had no bloodshed. We don't know. We don't know because he didn't do it. He, he, every step of the way, he trods on his Nazarite vow. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, again, but the Lord establishes his steps. And verse 17, the highway of the upright turns aside from evil. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let me read that again. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. All right. Judges chapter 15. Open it up. We're going to read a whole section, a whole chapter today. And again, when you hear this or read this, it's going to be like, this is so weird. We'll get into it, okay? All right. I'm probably going to butcher some of these names, so just deal with it. 15, verse 1. Later on, during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a gift and visited his wife. And we all know women love young goats as romantic gestures. He said, I want to go to my wife's in her room, he said. But his father told, would not let him go, would not, excuse me, would not let him enter. 
I was sure you hated her, his father said. So I gave her to one of your men who accompanied you. Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Why not take her instead? It's like, let's make a deal. Behind door number one, behind door number two, you know. Samson said to them, this time I will be blameless when I harm the Philistines. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. He took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put the torches between each pair of tails. Then he ignited the torches and released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned the piles of grain and the standing grain as well as vineyards and olive groves. This is an economical tragic, an economic tragedy for the Philistines. I mean, olive groves don't grow on a seasonal basis. Those trees are gone. Okay? Big deal. Then the Philistines asked, who did this? I would ask that too. They were told, it was Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because he took Samson's wife and gave him to his companion. So the Philistines went to her and her father and burned them to death. Now, you remember last chapter, that was the big threat, right? They said, if you do not tell us the riddle, we're going to burn you and your, your father's house, right? So she, instead of trusting in her husband, who was Samson, by the way, to protect her, she went behind his back and, and deceived him, and then her deception ended in the same punishment, interestingly enough. Okay. Then Samson told them, because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I've taken vengeance on you. He tore them limb from limb, and they went down and stayed in the cave at the rock of Edom. All right, we'll stop there for a second. We'll finish the chapter in a minute. We're going to do this in two parts today. Samson's arrogance and pride led to a descending spiral of destruction and mayhem. Think about that. A descending spiral of destruction and mayhem. Never once did Samson hear, uh, do we hear Samson inquire of the Lord, do we? He's working completely on passion here. He's, he's responding. He's reacting. He's never inquired of the Lord at all about what to do. This is odd because, think about it, the Nazarite vow was put in place so that the Nazarite could be clean at all times so that they could have direct and quick access to God. That's the whole point of the Nazarite vow, to keep oneself unstained, clean, so that you can be in prayer, you can be in communion with God for a period of time. That's the whole point of the Nazarite, well, not the whole point, but that's the majority of the, of the reason for it, is just to keep yourself clean so that you can be in communion with God. Yet Samson doesn't even, doesn't even look there at all. See, and secondly, this is a common practice among the leaders of Israel. Moses inquired of God whenever there was a major need, uh, decision to be made. Joshua inquired of God when there was a major decision to be made. We even see Gideon, as weak as Gideon was, he overly <laughs> inquired of God. He kept going back to God. I don't know about this, God. You sure about this, God? You know my heritage. You know my lineage, right, God? Are you sure you want to do this, God? But he kept inquiring. This is not an odd thing to do. But Samson seems to be of the mind that God should honor the, his steps. Think about this. God should honor the steps he takes. 
I'm going I'm to move out here, God, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and I want you to bless it. Rather than asking God to establish the path before him. How often do we do that? How often? How impatient are we? We just, we just go. And we're like, God, God, bless this thing. Oh, bless this thing. God's like, I hate this thing. <laughs> I cannot bless this thing. If you had come to me first, I would have said, this is a bad idea. But you jumped into it. Now I'm going to have to save you from it. But I can't bless it. And God does that. He works it all together for his good. Because God needed to, God was going to take the Israelites out from underneath the Philistine control. But he had to kind of work around, around uh, Samson's arrogance. Proverbs 16, again, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. If you commit yourself to the Lord, he will establish your steps. Then you can, with confidence, say, God bless this. Make sense? But Samson doesn't do that. Samson took the real and devastating slight of his father-in-law and reacted by exacting vengeance on the Philistine people by burning their crops. There's the start of the spiral. Then in turn, that in turn caused the Philistines to take vengeance upon Samson by burning the things that he loved. Which led to Samson exacting vengeance upon them, which led them up to a full-out battle conflict with the tribe of Judah. See how this spirals down? I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says this, Violence begets violence. Hate begets hate. And toughness begets greater toughness. It is all a descending spiral. And the end is destruction for everybody. Along the way of life, someone must have enough sense and morality to cut off the chain of hate. I thought that was a powerful quote. We could use a little of that today. Samson definitely could have used it. Okay, back to verse 9. Here we go. So now we're led up to this conflict with Judah. The Philistines went up, camped in Judah, and raided Lehi. So the men of Judah said, why have you attacked us? They didn't even know this happened. Samson just did it unilaterally, just went after it. They replied, we have come to tie Samson up and pay him back for what he did to us. It's still this spiral. <laughs> Listen to this. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the cave at the rock of Edom. And they asked Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines rule, uh, rule us? What have you done to us? I have done to them what they have done to me, he answered. It's like, I know you are, but what am I? I have done to them what they have done to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. 3,000 of them. <laughs> That's a, a lot of people. <laughs> Then Samson told them, swear to me that you will, yourselves won't kill me. No, they said, we won't kill you, but we will tie you up and uh, sec uh, secure, securely hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. 
when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came uh, powerfully on him, and the ropes that were on his arms and wrists became like burnt flax and fell off. He found a fresh, ooh, hmm. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Now, again, we're back to like the Rambo movie. This is a humongous body count, folks. This, this body count is, and, and, and you, you can only picture like Samson whacking away at these guys, and like just literally the bodies piling up in front of him. Well, this is exactly what he says happens. Then Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in heaps. <laughs> with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone and named the place Ramath Lehi. He became very thirsty and called out to the Lord. I would imagine he was thirsty. But can, you, can, we, just, can we just look at the arrogance of Samson right here? Listen to what he says. This is his prayer. After his, this guy says this. You have accomplished this great victory through your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Gee. So God split a hollow place in the ground of Lehi and water came out. After Samson drank and his strength returned and he revived. That is why he named it En-Hekor. I don't know how to say these words. Which is still in Lehi today. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We see in this passage, Samson is not the only one who is not doing what God has told him to do. Is not accomplishing the task of delivering Israel from the Philistines. To fully grasp the significance of what is happening, we need to reflect on the book, the book's opening. Okay? At the very beginning of the book of Judges, their, uh, their united Israel inquires of Yahweh what, um, about how they should proceed in carrying out the mandate that Joshua has given them to complete the conquest of Canaan. Okay? They're like, we, we need to figure that. We haven't finished it. Josh dies, Joshua dies before they've finished the conquest of, of Israel. And they, they inquire of God, how do, we, how do we go about doing this? <laughs> the answer was that the tribe of Judah should lead them. And that if they did so, victory was assured. If Judah led the charge against the people of the land. They would cast out the Philistines. They would cast out all the, uh, the people in Canaan. And, this, and now Judah's going, these are our rulers. What's your problem, Samson? Lack of leadership. In chapter 15, there is no seeking direction from God and no victory. Israel's subjection to the Philistines is ex uh, accepted as the established fact. We are just victims. And we have decided we are going to live 
as victims. That victim mentality is very imprisoning. We are not victims. We are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. We have to live in that victory. Once we succumb to a a victim mentality, we've lost before we've even tried. There's no procession of Judah. They had 3,000 men. Instead of going after the Philistines, they go to one man in a cave. And they complain like little babies. What'd you do, Samson? Don't you know? They're going to be mad at us. There's no cry out for deliverance. The only person who fights the Philistines is Samson. He does so. He only does so when he when he has to like take vengeance for the marriage that he was hoping to have with them. Right, so even he's nobody's doing the right thing here. Do you see? Everybody's only doing what's right in what their own eyes. Although Samson is destined eventually to begin to save Israel, the men of Judah, yes, the same Judah that was supposed to lead, right, see him only as a threat to the status quo, and arrest him in order to hand him over to the Philistines. Hand them over to their masters, really. They have been mastered by wickedness. Only a miraculous thing, a miracle from God could start this with this weak group of leaders. Think about it. The leaders are victims. So only a miracle could change this. And I'd say a thousand, thousand soldiers in one moment not a bad start. Samson just routes. I, that's, you know, it's one of those things that like, you wish you could have been there to see it, but then I'm like, ooh, maybe I don't want to be there, that the carnage would be like pretty bad. There was a contemporary movie that was put out a while ago about this, and it was not a very good movie. <laughs> the acting wasn't good. But the, the, it, the, the scene of this particular scene was like, there's bodies flying through the air. You know, I don't know about that, but. But I want you to, I want you to uh, focus in on one thing. This is very important for us today. He kills a thousand men. But again, the deed is done through contact with a dead animal. Emphatically, emphatically described as recently deceased. It was a fresh jawbone. And thus, renewed violation of his Nazarite vow. In verse 8, it says he tears the people limb from limb, right? He doesn't need this jawbone to kill the enemy, to destroy it. He doesn't need it. But Samson is always reaching out for the unclean to accomplish what God has already destined for him. He doesn't trust that God can take care of him. So he's always reaching out for the unclean thing. 
even after God gives a miraculous victory over the Philistines, Samson credits himself instead of the empowerment of the Spirit. Samson stands over the heaps of a thousand dead bodies and celebrates his victory with his own victory hymn. With the jawbone of a donkey. I guess the picture was in there. Is this good? Is the camera guy ready? With the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I, 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 I have killed a thousand men. In contrast to the song of Deborah in Judges 5, who gives, when, when Deborah is in victory over her enemy, she, she praises the Lord. She gives God the credit. Or, or uh, Miriam's song in Exodus 15, when they cross the, the Red Sea. All the praise goes to God. This one of Samson doesn't even mention God. This is the contrasting psalm from another Israelite ruler. It says this, Psalm 3. I have so many enemies, Lord, so many turn against me. They talk about me and say, God will not help him. But you, O Lord, are always my shield from danger. You give me victory and restore my courage. I call to the Lord for sleep, and all night long the Lord protects me. I call for the Lord for help, and from his sacred hill he answers me. I am not afraid of the thousands of enemies who surround me on every side. Sounds like the story of Samson almost. Come, Lord, save me, my God. You punish all my enemies and leave them powerless to harm me. Victory comes from the Lord. May he be blessed. Uh, may his, uh, excuse me, may he bless his people. Think about that. Let me read that last, that last verse again. Verse 8. Victory comes from the Lord. May he bless his people. That was David. Totally different heart. You hear the heart there? Arrogance above humility is, is, is Samson's go-to, whereas humility was David's. The story of Samson begs the question of why God would choose to use such a stubborn, proud, vengeful man. Why would God do that? The real question is why God chooses us to do anything. We are rebellious creatures, all of us. Why does God choose us? Why did God, why is that part of God's purpose? We can look at Samson and say, oh, look at Samson. He's so arrogant. He's so this, he's so that. We need to take a good look in the mirror and realize that we have our own stuff. We got our own stuff. As strong as God's choice, um, as strange as God's choice for Samson seems, he is far from unique. In her devotional based on 1 Corinthians 12, which discusses the varied gifts of the Spirit, Kristen Cain, by the way, if you are interested in Kristen Cain, you can watch more stuff from her on Right Now Media, which is free through our church. 
Go to our website. You can watch more stuff. She's, she's excellent. She reminds us that, and I'm going I'm to read this, read this portion of her devotion. Throughout Scripture and history, it seems God has chosen the most seemingly unlikely and unqualified people to fulfill his plan and purpose on this earth. What is impossible with people is possible with God. We just have to believe that God has called us to go into the world in his name and not listen to the crippling or even paralyzing labels and limitations imposed on us by others. Whom God calls, he qualifies. And he chooses everybody to do something specific, something that is part of his design. In fact, the Bible shows us that since the beginning of time, God has chosen the unlikely to do the unimaginable. He has chosen the unlikely to do the unimaginable. Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah would have missed out on their moment in history if they had not allowed, if they had been allowed to get away with their excuses. We wouldn't even know their names. We know who they are because God refused to accept their excuses and insisted that they accept his assignment and then provided them everything they needed to succeed in it. Whom God calls, he qualifies. Whom God calls, he qualifies. We believe very uh, strongly in this church that God has given each and every member of the church. I'm not talking about members as like card-carrying members. I'm talking people who are in the church. You. Maybe you're a service partner. Maybe you're not. But you have a role. You have a job. You have a calling on your life to function in the church for a specific purpose and reason, and that reason is great. And you may say something like this. I don't think God could use me. I have too many flaws. Well, Samson is the man for you today. If you want to talk about flaws, just read very carefully through the last few chapters that we've read in the last couple weeks. And God was able to use that joker... He can use each and every one of us. And so much more if we do what he says to do. Samson rejected what God said to do in every turn. Imagine if we, being people who are you know, on fire and after God's heart, how much more could he use us? I, mean, I, I, always, I always imagine when I think about the story of Samson, what, what could have been? Look, look at the life of Moses and all the amazing things that he did, Right? He was obedient. What? I mean, we didn't see Moses killing lions with bare hands. We didn't see Moses ripping doors off hinges. We didn't see Moses killing a thousand men. He did other things. But what, what, what would have Samson been if he had truly taken seriously his calling? I think, I, think, I, I don't know, but it could have been amazing. Instead of being a cautionary tale, it could have been one of the great tales. 
When life hits, we don't need to reach for unclean things. Listen to me, folks. When life hits, we don't, don't reach to unclean things to cope with life. That's what Samson did. Every single time he has an opportunity, he reaches for the unclean thing to assist him in his righteous purpose. Don't do that. Let God be the thing that you reach, at, reach toward. When life hits, go to God. Inquire of him. He is there for you. He will be there for you. He will help you. When the enemy rages against us, we don't need to respond in kind. Well, he did that to me, so then I'm going to do that to him, and then he's going to do that to me. I mean, the spiral is, 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 is destructive, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, for everybody. We can live at peace with God and accomplish everything that he has set before us to do. We don't need to compromise or rush into action. We need to trust in him, communicate with him, step out in faith, and give him the glory for each and every victory. Do not forget where your victory comes from. Do not forget. We need to glorify each and every, him in each and every moment, every victory that he will accomplish through the little, old, regular, unremarkable, flawed us. That's where we live. We live at the intersection of common and supernatural. Think about that. Little, old, unremarkable us accomplishing the work of God. I'm down with that. Imagine, we talked about it last week, can imagine what God can do through a church who's comfortable living in that intersection. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, thank you for this time we could be together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the encouragement of the word. God, I thank you for cautionary tales like Samson. I thank, I'm so grateful that you put these stories in your word. You didn't have to, but you did. So that we could see ourselves in the mirror of the word of God. Not that we're killing thousands of people, but that we are flawed but capable through your, your empowering spirit. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself today. God, help us to respond in holy ways. You said when one person strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other. You know, we don't respond in kind. We go to you. We don't look to the unclean things to accomplish our goals and our purposes. Lord, help us to lean on you and lean into you when troubles come. And we will be more than conquerors through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>